1: And now, the Blaze Radio Network presents 40 Acres and
2: a Fool. Here's your host, Cam Edwards. Greetings from the near frontier. Thanks so much for tuning in to another edition of 40 Acres and a Fool from the Blaze Radio Network. Cam Edwards, your host, not at the kitchen table this week. Unfortunately, it has been a crazy couple of weeks, and I apologize for the uh, lack of of a, uh, an episode last week. It's it's getting to be that sort of weird time of year. I've got the NRA annual meetings coming up. I'm going to try to uh, uh, do an episode of 40 Acres in a Fool before I head over to Louisville next week, because I know that once I get over there, there will be no time uh, to do a podcast. Although, now that I think about it, maybe I'll bring the uh, portable microphone along, because I know that we're going to see some friends there, including Trent. Uh, I have uh, an invite to a uh, pig roast on a farm outside of Louisville while I'm there. So actually, now that I think about it, maybe we will try to uh, do a 40 acres from the road next week at the uh, NRA annual meeting. Anyway, I hope that you have had a, a fantastic couple of weeks. It has, as I said, been pretty busy on the 40 acres. I wish I could say that it's uh, it's been so busy that, man, now we're ahead of schedule. We've done so much with it. No, that isn't. Really what I have to report here. Um, so this weekend, we're supposed to uh, finally put our tomatoes and our cucumbers in the ground. They are still in uh, the uh, little uh, cow pots that we've uh, had them in growing. Um, beets are coming up, which is that, that's good. That That's progress. Uh, carrots are coming up. That's even better because I was afraid that the carrot seeds uh, had just been washed away. We got uh, a lot of rain about four days or so after we planted the carrot seeds and uh, same thing happened last year and we lost. Most of the carrots that we had planted, Uh, it looks like we've got some clumpy carrot patches that are uh, popping up in the beds that we planted. So we'll probably uh, plant some more seeds this weekend. Uh, Our beans are in and are looking good. Our peppers are also uh, getting ready to go into the ground again. I know that we're so late. We're like two weeks late doing this, Uh, maybe even three. So we'll see what kind of growing season we have here. Um, the good news is that uh, we've been busy in, in other good ways. Our oldest daughter came home for a visit. is fantastic. Uh, you know, she lives uh, in Oklahoma, and so we only get to see her a couple of times a year. But it was just absolutely wonderful to have her home on uh, Mother's Day. Uh, we uh, drove over to Lynchburg, Virginia, uh, my oldest son. Uh, who lives in uh, southwestern Virginia, drove up and we all had dinner with Miss E. And family pictures were taken and a good time was had by all. And, you know, it's really interesting. My daughter uh, is a vegetarian for the most part. Oldest daughter. Uh, Not a vegan, but a vegetarian for the most part. But while she was here, while she was here, she ate our pork. Yeah. Again and again. uh, A broadwurst. Uh, something like six pork egg rolls. I mean, I, I should just chowed down because they were really, really delicious. And I'm really proud uh, of my daughter. You know, she, her uh, her philosophy about not eating meat, she wants to know where her food comes from, at least when it comes to the meat. So knowing that, um, you know, she was eating food that her mom and dad had raised, it was OK for her um, out in California. I don't know if you've seen this story or not. There is a couple uh, who have also, and these apparently were uh, hardcore vegans, Tercey's and Matthew Englehart. Uh, They have a chain of organic plant-based restaurants in uh, California. They are also the authors of a book called Sacred Commerce, Business as a Path of Awakening. Uh, Cafe Gratitude is uh, the name of their company. Uh, they said uh, in their book, um, we are sometimes our sacred enterprise. Cafe Gratitude is sometimes accused of being a cult because of the perception that we make people be grateful. Apparently, they say the uh, god of materialism, the hungry ghost, finds thankfulness threatening, but we... Are not threatened. I think the Hungry Ghost would be a pretty good name for a restaurant, too, now that I think about it. Maybe even better than Cafe Gratitude. And the customers, some of them anyway, at Cafe Gratitude, are uh, now anything but gratified to learn that the Engleharts are eating meat again. Mm -hmm. The uh, Washington Post, among others, reporting that animal rights activists unearthed the unthinkable recently at least as far as vegan icons are concerned, a blog post announcing the Engleharts' transition to eating meat after 40 years of vegetarianism. The post says the post was published more than a year ago, but it had slipped past the notice of most buried in a series of ruminations on the website for the couple's bee love farm in Vacaville, California. Uh, the post writes that they uh, did not offer a reason for the couple's change of hearts, but rather mused about mortality. Quote, well, I would clearly say that we are in transition, and that transition is happening deep within our beings, we know it is a necessary and important part of our own growth as well as the sustainability of our farm. Certainly, a part of us wants to either deny the inevitability of death or simply not, our, not let ourselves get present to the reality of it for our animals as well as ourselves. Accompanying photos, the Washington Post says, showed several mason jars filled to the brim with beef broth, as well as a freezer stuffed with pasture beef. In a subsequent post, uh, Matthew Englehart shown in a photo taking a bite out of a hamburger, allegedly his first in four decades. Uh, He went on to explain that uh, going back to eating meat was influenced by their thoughts on agriculture, he said, that "Herding ruminants are our best tool to restore fertility to the earth. Keep the earth covered and reversed." Uh, reverse desertification and climate change. We need, which is interesting because you got some people say that cow farts are actually causing climate change. Anyway, Matthew says, uh, we need cows to keep the earth alive. Cows make an extreme sacrifice for humanity, but that is their position in God's plan as food for the predators. Oh, gee, but he Christmas. Now he's talking about God, too. Oh, man, I'm sure the left are just flipping out over this. The vegans are not having it, writes the Washington Post. The couple's original post has since been publicized on a Facebook page calling for a boycott of Café Gratitude in its sister restaurant, Gracias Madre. The responses indicate that the Engelhardt's former fans are out for blood in a vegan way. Uh, one writing, I think it's outrageously hypocritical to pretend that you're a caring vegan restaurant while you raise animals on your farm for slaughter and call it the love farm. Wow, where does your soul live? A fiery hell? Hmm. Also protesting, taking place outside of some uh, cafe gratitude restaurants. Uh, one in uh, Venice, California, had protesters carrying signs that read, It's not food, it's violence. And no animal is grateful to die. One poster depicted a cow hanging from a rope with a speech bubble. No gracias, madre. While a stick figure of Matthew Englehart held up a knife over a pool of blood and said, I love you. Man, I'm not saying all vegans are nuts, but uh, I I, I think they need some more protein in their diet. Uh, Matthew Englehart says they've been getting death threats because they eat meat. He said people have taken up the mob mentality. It saddens me that the choices that we made in the privacy of our home would lead people to feel so betrayed that it's elevated to threats on our lives. He added that they harvested, and the Washington Post says, Reed slaughtered several of their cows, but never sold them for profit. Some celebrity vegans have entered the fray. Oh, boy! Celebrity vegans! That sounds like the worst show ever on the Food Network, doesn't it? Uh, the musician Moby denounced the Inglehart's decision in a Facebook post. I have great love for the people at like Cafe Gratitude and Be Love Farm, but I sincerely hope they discontinue their practice of raising and killing animals for food. Actually, yeah, you know that, 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 that's not a death threat or anything, so that's actually fairly restrained. Uh, Jason Roble, a vegan chef on the Cooking Channel, in a post that has since been deleted, outlined his disappointment, according to the Washington Post, saying, People feel misled, deliberately lied to, and that a business that they have so lovingly supported for many years has lost its way. I feel that my hard-earned money has been used for purposes that are unethical, cruel, and out of alignment with my values. Hmm. Hmm. Now, again, he took that post down a week later. He wrote another post saying, uh, I, I, I still I still very much disagree with the fact that they're eating meat, but you know what? Don't threaten death on the Engleharts. Right? Meanwhile, Matthew Englehart uh, told the Hollywood Reporter uh, he and his wife did not sign up to be the, quote, mom and dad of some vegan movement. And he said many vegan establishments are run by non-vegans. Yeah. You know, the other thing is, Actually the first thing is it's nobody's damn business what the Inglehearts are eating for dinner. Now they've chosen to share their restaurant tours. I understand the uh uh the, the interest in people, but it's really nobody else's decision what they have for dinner, is it? I, I I don't think we should lose sight of that very important fundamental point that we now have, you know, food shamers. How dare you eat that for dinner? A uh, hamburger, right? How dare you? Uh, So let's not lose sight of that important fact. But even to the vegans, even to those who, again, uh, want to make every act of every day some sort of conscious uh, uh, act of support or opposition to, you know, some cause or another. The Engleharts have a reason for changing their mind, right? They've got a reason for deciding, you know what, after 40 years... We're going to start eating meat again. And when we come back here on this edition of 40 Acres and a Fool, we're going to talk about those reasons. So stick around. We have a lot more coming up on this episode. We'll be back right after this.
1: 40 Acres and a Fool with Cam Edwards on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome back to 40 Acres and a Fool with Cam Edwards on the Blaze Radio
2: Network. It's the show where we can talk until the cows come home, except the cows aren't coming home because they're all going to be eaten. It's 40 Acres and a Fool from the Blaze Radio Network. Cam Edwards, your host, talking about eating cows. And yes, eating hogs and eating chickens here as the uh, vegan couple who runs Cafe Gratitude in uh, California now getting death threats and protests for eating meat after 40 years. Uh, The vegans don't want to listen, by the way, to the uh, uh, the the reasoning of uh, these business owners and these farmers. Even though they have a reason, it's not like they're just uh, telling their vegan friends, look, I really, really, really wanted a cheeseburger. I wanted a hot dog. We're coming up towards summer for 40 years. I've sat and I've eaten tofu burgers. I've eaten tofu dogs. I want some meat this summer. It's, 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 It's more than that. Now, frankly, that's a perfectly acceptable reason for me, but it's more than that. What they're saying is, look, this actually goes hand in hand with our mission, with what we've been trying to do for 40 years. Uh, And they say that they now recognize that uh, raising cattle and, and yes, eating that that cattle um, is actually a part of the process. In other words, this couple feels like they are continuing to learn. They are continuing to educate themselves and they are making their choices based on more knowledge. Now the vegans, obviously, at least the ones who are issuing death threats, uh, don't see it that way. They see this couple as fallen angels, devil tempters. Now, who are just trying to lure other vegans into the uh, sin of eating meat? It's not a cult, yeah, right. Uh, anyway, I, I just, I just, it seems to me that uh, at a very basic level, what we have here is another uh, instance of. And I'm sure I in fact, I know there are uh, some uh, conservative vegans out there, um, a lot of whom are, you know, vegan for dietary issues, some for uh, for moral issues. Uh, but it, it seems like this is another example of uh, the left. Or or maybe maybe I'm, maybe I'm just making this political and it doesn't have to be uh, another example of people. F- figuring out uh, by themselves that they are the smartest bleeping people ever to walk on the face of the earth. I think it's a real problem that we have in our society right now. Uh, and you do see it manifested on the left. You, uh, you, maybe you see it manifested on the right as well. Uh, but this idea that everybody who's come before us uh, should be treated with scorn, that, that the, uh, the the people who are alive on this planet today aren't, aren't, aren't the luckiest humans ever to walk on the uh, face of the earth. No, no, no. They're the smartest they're the most caring. Not everybody, mind you. Uh, just the people who feel this way, right? This is one of the stories that I, I think the uh, uh, the left likes to tell itself. That, that they are the most caring. That they are the most compassionate. They're the most tolerant. They're the most open-minded. They're the most whatever uh, of any humans to have ever walked this earth. And nobody... And I do mean nobody can compare to the paragons of virtue uh, that are the uh, the 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 uh, activists left these days. Because you can go back and you can look at, you know, amazing figures through history. Uh, George Washington. Yeah, but, he, you know, he was a slave owner uh, and he raised meat. Uh, Susan B. Anthony. Was she on gay rights? Ida Wells. Mm, I I don't remember Ida Wells talking about uh, LGBT issues too much. I mean, and by the way, Ida Wells was also in favor of, you know, people owning firearms for self-defense. So uh, clearly she's a uh, a backwards thinking bumpkin uh, by uh, today's standards, even though she was a uh, progressive figure in the late 19th century. There's just this idea that, uh, you know, I'm the smartest person ever. And if you ever find I don't I don't think I have to actually tell you this, but uh, if you ever find yourself thinking this, you're not. You're you're not. Uh, Someone somewhere sure uh, will be the smartest person ever. But odds are it ain't you. Uh, Odds are you have something that you can learn. Odds are more than one thing. Odds are you could actually learn new things every stinking day if you wanted to, no matter how smart you think you are. But in today's society, it seems like we have uh, folks, maybe they're more prevalent out in California, who, uh, who don't want to learn. They don't want to listen to the Eberhardt. They don't want to they don't want to ask that question of or even have an honest debate of, OK, look, I understand what you're saying. And, yes, it's it's your right to, to eat meat. But for 40 years, you've been telling us, hey, don't eat meat. And you've been serving food in your restaurants that don't have meat in it. Uh, are you going to change your restaurants? Because if this is now supposedly the best thing for you to do in your life, then why would you not carry this over to your business practices? Is it because you have built up these vegan restaurants and now you don't want them to go away? I mean, I think you could have a, a real honest discussion, but it doesn't involve, you're going to hell because you're eating cow. I mean, that's not a real conversation starter, in my opinion. So we'll keep our eyes on the, uh, the Eberharts there in uh, California to see if they are shamed into once again renouncing their meat-eating ways. I hope that doesn't happen. Uh, And I can tell you, uh, you know, again, uh, at our place, we do eat our own pork. We do eat our own chicken. I wish I had a cow. Thinking about a cow share program, but uh, I do not have a cow of my own at the time. And, you know, it is tough. When, you, uh, when it comes time to actually turn that animal into food. I imagine it gets easier, uh, but so far, it's been kind of tough. I have this conversation with myself every time uh, we uh, process a hog. And it's, huh, it's sad. But if we weren't going to be eating this hog then we would not have needed to raise this hog. And if we decided not to raise this hog, this hog may very well not have existed. You know, you look at some of the uh, heritage breeds of, of pork, and and even of beef now. There's no real reason for these animals to exist. Uh, there are only, last time I checked, there are only about 3,000 uh, American Guinea hogs in the United States. They used to be very, very common. But they're fat. They're lard hogs. We don't have much of a need for lard hogs anymore. If it weren't for those people who say, you know what, I I, I want something different. I don't want these standard. I I want to raise my food on my own. This particular uh, variety of hogs would have died out. If tomorrow the Obama administration decided, uh, you know what, we're going to cram down a a vegan edict, just like we've crammed down a bunch of other edicts, no more eating meat. What do you think would happen to all of the livestock in this country? I have a feeling that, that some folks think, oh, we just turn all the farms into animal sanctuaries. Well, no, you're not going to do that because who's going to pay the farmers to keep the animals alive as opposed to for, 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 for no purpose whatsoever other than to let the animals live. As opposed to uh, what the farmers do now, which is, you know, raise the animals so they can uh, sell the animals and then they can put food of their own uh, on the table for their family and they can, you know, buy shoes for their kids and gas for the truck and things of that nature. Uh, farmers can't keep all of the animals that they have and turn their farms into a petting zoo out of the goodness of their heart. There's no economic model that makes that work. So what would happen if the president uh, issued uh, some sort of vegan directive tomorrow? You would see a mass slaughter of all of these animals. The, the, The animal rights activists, the vegans, would be responsible for the uh, mass murder the the culling of uh, the this livestock and by the way if for, for for no purpose whatsoever other than to make animal rights activists feel better about themselves because none of that meat would end up on the plates right because we couldn't eat meat anymore. It's a conundrum it's a conundrum and I, you know and if you're looking at the politics of this, it's so much more complicated than what I think a lot of the uh, the food activists uh, want it to be. I think, and this is just my personal philosophy, I think a, a much more realistic attitude to have is that attitude of happy hogs make tasty bacon. Treat your animals well under your care, and they will treat your tummy well when it comes time to turn them into food. All right, we're going to take a, another quick time out here on this edition of 40 Acres and a Fool. I don't know about you, I'm kind of hungry. Maybe some uh, bacon and eggs during a commercial break. Stick around. We'll be back with much more coming up right after this. You're listening to
1: 40 Acres and a Fool with Cam Edwards on the Blaze Radio Network. Box Sexton.
2: I'm a professor of astrophysics, and I would like to weigh in here on this subject on which I have expertise. You hope that's what the comment section is. Or if you're the author, I'm giving you a little peek behind the curtain here.
0: If you're the author, you hope it's, that was a great piece, and I really feel like you, you know,
1: did a good job. Or even if it's a clip, you know, well done. But usually it's, you know, I hate your face, and you're stupid. Buck Sexton. Weekdays, noon to 3 p.m. Eastern. On the Blaze
2: Radio Network.
1: 40 Acres and a Fool with Cam Edwards returns now on the Plays Radio Network.
2: Coming up here on 40 Acres and a Fool, we're going to hear from you. The email address, as always, is 40acrefool at gmail.com, 40acrefool at gmail.com. Make sure that you are following me on Instagram at Cam Edwards, on the Twitters as well, and on Instagram as well. At Corny Goat Farm, that's a corny, C-O-R-N-Y. Get your mind out of the gutter. At uh, Reason Magazine, Balin Linekin has the uh, story on food freedom legislation uh, advancing in several states around the country, albeit uh, at a rather slow pace. Last year, he writes, uh, the state of Wyoming adopted the country's first formal food freedom law. Uh, State Representative Tyler Lindholm co-sponsored the bill along with the Democrats. This was bipartisan legislation. Uh, And uh, Balin Linekin talked with him again uh, last week saying that, uh, uh, yes, this has been a success. He says, Wyoming has had roaring success. We continue to capitalize on those aspects. He said, in fact, the Agriculture Committee for the state of Wyoming uh, will spend the summer studying ways to expand on the Food Freedom Act. Now, uh, the, the Food Freedom Bills, you know, these are pieces of legislation that would allow Um, individual small farmers to sell their own foods here. So it uh, uh, exempts producers of homemade food from state regulated food safety inspection. uh, If they sell their product at farmers markets, roadside stands or from their home directly to customers who intend to consume the food themselves or use the food products at, uh, quote, traditional community social events. Okay. Sounds fine. To me, anyway. Doesn't sound fine to everybody. Uh, Marion Nestle, yes, uh, that Nestle, uh, argues that even a small food producer should be required to produce food that is safe and that this is uh, going to lead to all kinds of deaths. People aren't going to know where their food's coming from. Uh, if you miss the headlines about uh, mass die-offs in Wyoming because of people eating unlicensed apple pies, it's because those stories haven't been written. Uh, Representative Lindholm tells Bela Linekin, uh, currently Wyoming has experienced none of the deaths that we were all warned that would happen. And for that matter, none of the illnesses that were prophesized to take place upon passage of the bill. So one would think that uh, Wyoming's success might make it easier to move food freedom laws along in other states, but so far that hasn't really happened. Uh, In Utah, the legislature there rejected a food freedom bill. Uh, Again, same concerns that you heard in Wyoming. Oh, people are going to die. They're going to get sick. They're not going to know where their food's coming from, how safe their food is. Uh, In Maine, a bill that would have allowed voters to amend the state's constitution uh, died in the state Senate it, uh, it, this was the language that uh, uh, voters could have voted on to add to the state constitution. All individuals have a natural, inherent, and unalienable right to acquire, produce, process, prepare, preserve, and consume the food of their own choosing for their own nourishment and sustenance by hunting, gathering, foraging, farming, fishing, gardening, or saving and exchanging seeds. Provided that no individual commits trespassing, theft, poaching, or other abuses of private property rights, public lands, or natural resources in the acquisition of food. Furthermore, all individuals have a right to barter, trade, or purchase food from these sources of their own choosing for their own bodily health and well being, and every individual is fully responsible for the exercise of these rights which may not be infringed. Hmm. That's pretty interesting. Uh, Andy O'Brien at the uh, Free Press in Maine, after the bill died, uh, said that the reference to an inherent right to save seeds is problematic. Mm-hmm. Everything's problematic. Uh, he said in 2014, the U.S. Supreme Court also rejected an appeal by Maine farmers against Monsanto to protect farmers from lawsuits if their fields are contaminated by the company's patented genetically modified seeds. Uh, he says it's not known how the amendments right to save and exchange seeds provision would have impacted GMO patent laws. You know, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm sure that that's an answer for a lot of high powered attorneys. Here's my uh, here's my bumpkin answer. It's more important to talk about the human right to uh, grow our own food and to eat our own food than it is, I think, uh, to uh, protect provisions impacting GMO patent laws. I think people come before patent laws. I think the right to put food on your plate comes before patent laws. I'm not saying that that gets rid of the argument or that gets rid of the debate or that gets rid of the, uh, the problem, but... My finger is on the uh, scale here, and I am, I am weighting this on the side of the uh, people over the patent laws. Uh, Balin Linekin says, uh, ultimately Maine's constitutional amendment could have impaired basic freedom of contract and led to the amendment's death in court, which would have made it a setback for food freedom. Uh, he says, while no state has adopted a law like Wyoming's, besides Wyoming, uh, Colorado is on the cusp Of doing so, SB 58 passed the State Senate unanimously. It expands permissible cottage food offerings and allows small farmers to sell their own chickens directly to consumers, which we can do here in Virginia up to a point. Uh, We have a limit, I think, of 2,000 chickens a year that can be sold uh, direct to the uh, product. Uh, State Senator Owen Hill is a sponsor of the legislation uh, out there in Colorado, we said our goal with the Food Freedom Bill was to reduce red tape on local farmers and producers because Colorado places a high value on a thriving local economy and healthy farm fresh foods. It says the bill makes it easier for farmers and producers to connect with consumers who are looking for local food options. And it opens the market for the first time in Colorado uh, to allow small poultry producers to sell straight from their farms. Uh, Balin Linekin, who is a uh, uh, adjunct professor at George Mason University, Uh, and has a a book coming out called Biting the Hands That Feed Us. Uh, He's also, uh, maybe he's not with a group called uh, Keep Food Legal Anymore, but he used to be. He says, even if few states have passed food freedom legislation, support for such laws uh, is on the upswing. He uh, quotes Pete Kennedy with the Farm to Consumer Legal Defense Fund, who says, uh, uh, this is a war that we can win and will win, as those that primarily oppose such legislation are short lived in this generation of individuals craving liberty in all aspects. I I I wanna believe. Like David Duchovny and X Files, I wanna believe. I wanna believe that we've got a generation of people who are coming up and just love freedom and liberty and gimme all of it. Oh, I want all my individual freedom. And those people are out there, I'm sure. But we also, I think, are uh, living in a day and age in which we are seeing an increasing number of people say freedom isn't always a good word. Uh, Freedom of speech, that can lead to hurt feelings. So we need to curtail the freedom of speech. The freedom of expression, you know, bad ideas might get out there. Awful ideas uh, might, might be heard and might influence people. So we need to curtail that as well. Uh, the freedom to, to grow your own food, the freedom to eat. Why, then we don't have standard practices for agriculture. You could harm the environment. You could uh, uh, do damage to uh, the soil that, uh, you know, impacts the people who come after you. Uh, we really don't know. I mean, if you've just got one or two cows or goats, I mean, nobody's inspecting the health of those animals. I, no, I don't know. You call it food freedom. I call it anarchy we need some sort of system in place not to infringe on your freedom's mind you but just to funnel them into acceptable forms i i i see that attitude uh pretty prevalent among the uh younger generation as well so i i um i am kind of hopeful but i also know that uh even this even right now what we see here where there is um, the, 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 on the the left and in mainstream culture, there's that, uh, uh, renaissance of, you know, look at these small farmers and, oh, it's so amazing what they do. I just love this. It can turn on a dime. It, it really can. Tomorrow, uh, the marching orders could be, and the narrative could be, these people are awful. These people are destroying the planet. Uh, Because they're out there doing their own thing. And we want to make sure that uh, these people don't do their own thing. We want to make sure that we uh, tell them what to do. Again, for everybody's safety, for the common good. But we still need to tell them what to do. At some point, technology will uh, progress that uh, we'll be told small farmers are awful people anyway. And we should all be growing our meat in a lab somewhere. I, uh, I imagine that argument's coming. Right now, it's really expensive to grow meat in a lab. But uh, as they continue to try to refine the process and try to do this, that argument will be made at some point that all you caring, compassionate, small farmers out there are butchers. And instead, what we need is the uh, meat in a tube. Not 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 not, you know, the kind of tube that you buy like frozen ground beef there at the uh, grocery store. No, 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 no meat that's been grown in a tube. And then the caring compassion to farmers will be uncaring. They will be uh, awful people because they're farmers, not lab technicians. All right, we're going to take another quick time out. I guess our final one here. When we come back, we've got some uh, news from you to get to. So stick around. Much more 40 Acres and a Fool from the Blaze Radio Network is on the way. 40 Acres and a Fool with Cam
1: Edwards on the Blaze Radio Network. Don't miss The Morning Blaze with Doc and Skip. Supposedly, there is a sport that is competitive endurance tickling.
0: For two grand an hour. Have five guys like straddling you, tickling you, your shirt off, them filming it, and you know it's going to be on the internet.
2: They're not like naked or anything, right? No, but they've got
0: like boy shorts on and like uh, wife beaters.
2: Yeah, I'm not liking that, but two grand, yeah, I'm in. I'm down with that, yeah.
1: The Morning Blaze with Doc and Skip. Weekday morning, 6 to 9 Eastern on the Blaze Radio Network. 40 Acres and a Fool with Cam Edwards on the Blaze Radio Network.
2: Welcome back to this edition of 40 Acres and a Fool from the Blaze Radio Network. Cam Edwards, your host. So uh, on the next podcast, maybe uh, actually I want to get to a little bit of this this now. John uh, had written in a couple of weeks ago. Uh, asking, he says, uh, we've discussed many times about selling our home, looking for our own 40-acre fool opportunities. Uh, would you please expound again on the conversations between you and Missy e and the decision-making process that led to making the move? Uh, it's a bit scary at times because for us, it means a change in career for at least one of us. Uh, also, what impediments did you have to overcome? Um, so, John, I- I'll be honest with you. I mean, the, the big impediment was, so here's kind of how it went. Um, We moved from Oklahoma to Northern Virginia in 2004 when NRA News began. Uh, By the time 2012 rolled around, uh, and it was the summer of 2012 when we started thinking about this, Um, I was working nights at the time, uh, Cam and Company uh, uh, broadcast live 9 to midnight. So every day that meant I left for work around 2 o'clock in the afternoon, and I'd get home around midnight. So Monday through Friday, I really didn't get a chance to see my kids or, or I mean, or my wife that much. I, I, my wife works from home, so I was able to see her during the day. Um, but I really didn't get much of a chance to see my kids except for a couple of minutes in the morning because I was always working. So we had looked. We had always rented our home because when we moved to Northern Virginia in 2004, we thought, okay, we're going to rent for a year, see if we like the neighborhood, and then if we like the neighborhood, uh, we'll try to buy A year went by, uh, we did like the neighborhood, and we could no longer afford to buy in the neighborhood because the D.C. real estate prices were ridiculous. So we stayed in our uh, rental property. The entire time that we lived in Northern Virginia, and every now and then we would look around, would say, "I'm we're tired of paying rent. We we want to build some equity here," and we'd start looking at homes and would drive around, would spend a weekend looking, and we never liked anything that we saw. Um, We would have to, you know, live out. Probably 30, 35 miles from uh, D.C. in these sort of cookie cutter neighborhoods uh, with the houses just jammed up right next to one another. And we thought we just I, I, it just did not make any sense to us to uh, spend the money and to 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 do that and to, to buy a house that we didn't really want. Uh, so it was the summer of 2012. And I said, look, why don't we just do something crazy? And, and that's the that's the first key part. Here, John, um, I said, let's do something crazy. You know, I'm not at home much during the week. Uh, Why don't we look outside of the D.C. area, see what we could find outside of the D.C. housing bubble? Uh, And that sort of that sort of started it. And it was just at first it was just an idea. Let's just see. Let's just look and see. I had a friend who had uh, purchased some uh, uh, hunting property in uh, around Fredericksburg, Virginia. And he had told me about this website called landandfarm.com. So I go on the website and I start looking at properties, you know, four or five hours uh, uh, maximum from Washington, D.C. And I, I I saw this small farm. Actually, it wasn't even all that small. It was like 80 acres in uh, northern North Carolina, uh, not too far from I-95. And it was – um Way way cheaper than uh, buying a house in in the Washington D C area. It was I think this eighty acre farm was like eighty thousand dollars. So I, I we said well, let's go take a look and we called the realtor. And we drove down. This was our 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 first look at a farm, and uh, we actually walked away thinking, yeah, this could be the place. This this could be it. Uh, as it turns out, you know, looking back, there were a lot of problems with it, but it had a big barn. It had a pond. It had a house. It had, you know, a lot of pasture. Um, it also had a lot of problems to it as well. And uh, honestly, I think the biggest thing that turned us off in that farm, John, is uh, uh, when we were walking through the, the barn, um, we my wife and I both brushed up against some hay and we got Chiggers and we were itching the entire way back and uh, for days afterwards, and I think that kind of put a negative spin on that farm, but we had been bitten literally uh, and figuratively by the the bug, and so that got us uh, looking at at other places and we i mean it took us four months uh, we drove around on a lot of weekends, we kind of went in this big crescent. From uh, North Carolina, northern North Carolina, kind of up through Virginia, up through the Shenandoah Valley uh, and into West Virginia. We actually spent a weekend uh, looking at houses around Romney, West Virginia in the uh, fall of 2012. And I thought, oh, wow, what if Romney wins? Romney, West Virginia will be great. Uh, Yeah, that didn't work out. You have not seen uh, Romney, West Virginia become a huge tourist attraction over the uh, past four years. So we had actually gotten really frustrated. Uh, we looked at, uh, I think we looked at 12 different properties. We hadn't really found the one that we wanted, uh, the one that just kind of spoke to us. Uh, a lot of the, uh, uh, farms needed some work. There was always like something off about the properties that we looked at. Um, as far as the change of career goes, you know, this was what, what, what made it, I guess, easier. Uh, A, my wife works from home. And so she could continue to do that. And we just made the decision that because of my weird work schedule, um, it wasn't going to it was going to be a sacrifice. It was going to be hard. But uh, I would, you know, commute home on the weekends and living in a neighborhood. We had a lot of military families who were friends. I had a lot of friends who were on multiple deployments to Iraq and Afghanistan. Uh, They were gone from their families for, you know, months at a time. And on NRA News Cam and Company, we have a lot of listeners who are uh, over the road truck drivers. I I call them our road warriors. And I've had the opportunity to talk with a lot of them over the years. And so I know how hard it is to uh, to be gone uh, from your family for two and three weeks at a time. But those sacrifices are made. And I think knowing that that the sacrifice that I was going to be making, that we were going to be making, uh, was not going to be as large as the sacrifices that a lot of other folks are making every day to provide for their families. Uh, It sort of gave us the courage to to, to go ahead and do this, to just take the plunge. And uh, for a year and a half after we uh, uh, bought our farm, that's exactly what I did. Uh, I I left Monday morning, drove up to D.C. I rented a, a tiny little bedroom in a tiny little townhouse, Uh, In Alexandria And I would stay there uh, Until Friday night When I would drive home Um, Sometimes I would get homesick Or uh, the kids would really miss me Or Miss E would really miss me And I would drive home On a Tuesday or Wednesday night um, Get there in time To spend uh, about an hour An hour and a half with my wife Put the kids to bed uh, Get up in the morning Take them to school And then I'd, I'd drive back again it was rough. I mean, it really was. Uh, and after about a year and a half, um, we started talking about the, uh, the 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 future of NRA News and what we wanted to do. And it was really important to me at that point that uh, uh, that we not just have that perspective from inside the Beltway, which is important, but we also have that perspective from outside the Beltway, from outside the the media epicenters like Midtown Manhattan and Los Angeles, and Uh, Washington, D.C., and Farmville, uh, Virginia, I I think is a a a fantastic surrogate uh, for the the outside the Beltway mentality. It's a great little small town. It's going to be hosting the vice presidential debate later this year. So uh, just, you know, it's NRA country. You've got uh, uh, all kinds of folks who are gun owners and hunters and sportsmen. uh, And it just seemed like a a a a natural fit uh, to complement the uh, work and the coverage of what's going on in our nation's capital to also be grounded in uh, small-town America. So, it is scary, and it is a leap of faith, and, uh, you know, there was no guarantee that uh, we were going to have an NRA News Farmville studio uh, when Missy and I decided to to move. Some of the other impediments, um, you know, we've got kids, and they were not happy about leaving their friends. They were not happy about moving from the suburbs, which is all that they had known, to uh, the middle of nowhere. That was an adjustment. But... uh, but it, it worked, and I, I think it's worked very well. Our uh, middle son, who is getting ready to be a junior in high school, it, it took him probably a, a good year uh, for him to stop asking, "When are we moving back?" <laughs> he was uh, he was not happy, but he has his friends now. Uh, he's playing varsity sports, which I don't I don't know that he would have been able to if we had stayed in Northern Virginia and he had gone uh, to a high school with you know almost a thousand kids. In his grade, I, I don't know that varsity sports would have been in his future. So there, there are always going to be those challenges, uh, and it does require that 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 leap of faith and uh, trust in yourself and trust in your partner uh, and the desire to just make it work. However, uh, you have to do it. The desire to make it work. Now, John says there is also a bit of happy news around here. There's a flurry of activity. We are getting the place ready for a wedding in June. Congratulations, John. John says, uh, Katie, my gal, and I will wed in the middle of a large perennial garden that the two of us made last year. We're planning on a picnic complete with a hog roasted on site, home-brewed beer, and a bonfire with any luck. The sky will be sunny. The Minnesota state bird mosquitoes will be few, and smiles will be many. John says, so uh, cheers to you and Missy who enter our lives every Saturday morning while we're taking care of our indoor chores. The uh, two of you serve as a fantastic example of how couples can live and love together. John, thank you so much, sir. I really do appreciate that. Uh, John also just finished building his first AR. He says, "Uh, you could have warned me that those things are like starfish. One spare part lying around and it starts to grow into another rifle. (laughs) Well, good for you, John. And thank you so much for uh, for writing in. Uh, I wish you the best. And uh, many, many happy years to you and Miss Kay there in Minnesota. Also, uh, Jack writing in from King and Queen County, Virginia says, Cam, I hope things are going well with you and your family. Garden update, my snow peas have survived and may produce a crop due to the recent wet and cool weather that we've been having. Congratulations on that, Jack. Jack says the potatoes are up and doing well. All right, no bragging. I'm in the process of planting bush beans, sweet corn, and peanuts Jack says sweet potatoes, maybe some melons and pumpkins will be later. Uh, Jack, listen, I think that is fantastic. And I am uh, I'm I'm impressed that you've been able to get so much done. Jack also uh, shared some pictures. Uh, Jack wonders, would it be okay to use a handle or a pseudonym uh, when uh, he sends emails? Uh, Of of course. Just don't make me say anything silly. All right. Like, uh, you know, great big gobbler. Forty two writes in. Don't don't do that to me. But, uh, yeah, you want to use a pseudonym, that's fine. Uh, Jack also took a picture or two of some of the wild turkeys that have been hanging out uh, near his place in Virginia. You've got some uh, birds that are almost as big as the ones that uh, that I've seen. Now, Jack's also really getting it done here. I'm looking at uh, his planting, and I'm seeing tire tracks there on the uh, the plot. That is massive. I'm feeling a lot better about the amount of land that uh, I have to keep cleared now, Jack, because uh, our garden area is much, much smaller than that. But if our uh, crops don't do well, I may be coming to pay you a visit later in the fall. Now, the email address, if you would like to share what's going on in your patch of the world, and we would love to hear what's going on in your patch of the world, it's 40acrefool at gmail.com, 40 fool. At gmail.com. That is about all the time that we have for you this week. I've got to uh, get going and start my day in earnest, but thank you so much for tuning into this edition. We'll be back soon with another episode of 40 Acres and a Fool from the Blaze Radio Network. Until then, be safe, have fun, live a little, learn a lot, and we'll see you here soon with more 40 Acres and a Fool. This is 40
1: Acres and a Fool with Cam Edwards on the Blaze Radio Network.